I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, Stephen Means, Nathan Bear. This is your Monday rewatch pod, but we're not watching Ohio State's 38-3 to win over Michigan State because, yeah, we, we, that went about the way we thought it was going to go. Ohio State's offense flashed. The defense got some stops. A lot of people played. I think 30 different people played on defense. And Ohio State did its best to continue Marvin Harrison Jr.'s Heisman Trophy run. That's enough on Michigan State. Nathan and I are going to be rewatching. The Michigan Penn State game, Michigan, of course, winning that game. I believe 24 to 15 was that final score there. And I just want to get into it. JJ McCarthy threw eight passes, Nathan. He threw eight passes in a football game in 2023. And Joel Clad even pointed it out. And I, I, Sharon Moore, first and foremost, a lot has happened since the last time I spoke on this pod. Jim Harbaugh, of course, will not be coached. As of right now, is suspended through the rest of the season. Obviously, they've got the TRO for this Friday, so we'll see if they, they get an injunction on that or anything on that. But as of right now, Jim Harbaugh will not be coaching this weekend or next weekend in the Ohio State-Michigan game as well. But Sharon Moore takes over as the acting head coach. He's already the offensive coordinator. And Joel Klatt says it, Nathan. Penn State's defensive line got after J.J. McCarthy a little bit. And Sharon Moore went, okay, nope. <laughs> We're not throwing the ball today. We're just going to keep running it and keep running it. I think the last pass attempt came – the last attempt, actually, was in the se- second quarter. But the last time they tried to pass play was on a fourth and one with 7.50 left in the third quarter. And there's nothing open, so J.J. McCarthy just scrambles downfield. But seven of eight on the day for J.J. McCarthy, Nathan. Is that an indictment on Penn State's defense, or is that just how good Michigan's offensive line and running back it, duo is? It's an indictment of Penn State's offense. I mean, we've talked so many times on this podcast over the years about how Ohio State's offense, uh, not so much this year, but at its best under Ryan Day, has put a ton of pressure on the other team's offense. And I thought you saw in this game an example of the absence of that. When the other team, when you don't fear the other team at all, then you can play a much more conservative brand of offense. 
and know you're going to still win the game. And I that's what this game felt like to me. This felt like a game where Michigan thought it just didn't have to do much to kind of grind this out because it knew that Penn State wasn't probably going to put points on the board. And it was it was right. It, this it, in a lot of ways it played out similarly um, in terms of the flow of the game to the Ohio State game. The fact that Penn State Penn State didn't score with thirty seconds left in this game. They scored with a couple of minutes left. And there's some obviously any number of decision making things that happened around that that we can talk about. But but th- those aren't really that. There, I don't know that those carry forward to the Ohio State Michigan game that much. So you can just let Jim uh, James Franklin's decisions maybe hang there uh, in space by themselves. But I thought it was an indictment of it, it. What it told me was if you can't come out and move the ball. And we saw, frankly, we saw this from Ohio state last year um, when, when Ohio state couldn't move the ball in the second half. And yes, I know that there may have been extenuating circumstances. History will show us as to why that happened. History may be showing us in real time, but if you can't move the ball in the second half, you're not putting any pressure on that other team and forcing them into uh, um, you know, higher risk, lower reward situations sometimes. And uh, Michigan got to just kind of, you know, grind this game away. They were not like running up and down the field on Penn State. It was just game control. And it was because Penn State had an offense that, I mean, you could argue, like what offensive situation this year was actually like the bigger malpractice? Is it Iowa or is it Penn State? Because Penn State, if you put an offense out there, if 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 the passing game had like anything going for it, just like anything going for it, it changes the complexion of both of these games. Both the Ohio State and Michigan games changed massively if you have a dude who can get open with regularity. If your quarterback is a little bit more prepared for this, if you and then on top of all that, if you call the game maybe with just a little bit more flair for um you know for something, some flair for flair, uh, which is why Mike Yersich, uh woke up Sunday morning and uh, didn't have a job much longer. So mm-hmm. that was the other thing that unfolded out of this game is uh, former Ohio State quarterback coach Mike Yersich in his third year at Penn State was fired after this game. And you can have a chicken before the egg argument about that. Like, does the offensive coordinator, when he doesn't have a lot to work with, what is he supposed to do? But I also don't think this was, you know, this wasn't just a one-year issue there. I think there have been some questions about where that offense, what it was accomplishing at the top end. So, But this year was obviously the worst of, of, of the run. And I think it what this game told me when I, again, when I compared it to then what I saw later that night from Ohio State was not that it's going to look that easy against Michigan by any means, but being a consistent offense that can just drive the ball and keep your offense on the field and be uh, multidimensional um, gives you a chance because now we're 10 games into the season and Michigan still hasn't seen that. I thought a couple of things watching Blake Corn, who only had 5.6 yards per carry. So, your point, he wasn't like running all over Penn State for most of the night. In fact, that 30 yard touchdown, solid. they even broke it. Yeah, the 30 yard touchdown he had, they even broke it down. The def- defensive ends took the wrong gap, and Blake Quorum took advantage of it and sped right through it. So it wasn't like the most explosive day. Uh, Donovan Edwards had a couple explosive runs though, so he had, I think, a better day than he's had most of the season. But I think if Travion Henderson plays for Ohio State against Penn State, 
I think that's a much different game. That's not a 20 to 12 game. I, I honestly think that because especially since to your point, Penn State's offense didn't even give its defense a chance because the defense was getting stops in the red zone multiple times and holding Michigan to field goals, holding Ohio State to field goals. But then the offense couldn't do much of anything. I think it, it's it's much more of an indictment on Penn State than it is Iowa because you don't expect much from Iowa, which is why it's so it's almost hilarious how bad their offense is because we're expecting it to be that bad. Drew Aller in two big games this year looks like he did not want to be on the field, and it was apparent after he fumbled. Like all you, they even showed his face afterward. All the confidence he was just trajectory and just kind of out of it. After that point, he wasn't stepping up in the pocket. He was throwing off his back foot a bunch. They did not prepare him for either one of those games to be even close to an average quarterback in either one of those games, which is why his his box score often tells why he looked so bad. And like, I mean, against Michigan, 10 of 22, 70 yards. Against Ohio State, 18 of 42, 191 yards. That's on Mike Yurcich, and it's more importantly, that's on James Franklin because I saw a stat Sunday as I was making my way back to Columbus. He's had five different offensive coordinators, and three of them have been fired. That's that's on him. Then that's these, these yeah, are decisions yeah. you're making. Then so I, I can't. Mike Yurcich has had at least a pass at Oklahoma State where he's had explosive offenses. James Franklin, it's been a while since you've had an explosive offense, and the, you fired three of the five offensive coordinators you have. That's not good. That's not good Penn State. And there were well, plenty mean, of times these fans were booing the offense on Saturday. I mean, Penn State scored in the 30s last year against Ohio State. When they had players, they could score more points. How, how well, Funny how that works. And this year, they just it, it, it's just not there in the receiving end. But you're right with in respect to Aller, for sure. And and listen, like the, um, Franklin fired an offensive coordinator after one year to bring in Mike Yersich. Like it was a very quick hook that he gave the last guy to bring in Yursich because I I think it was thought at the time Yursich had had some success after going to Ohio State. Um, he left to go be at Oklahoma State and had had you know they thought had done some good things there and um, they I guess they felt like that was like an op- you couldn't let that guy not couldn't let that guy get away. It's kind of like when the like the if you're baseball fans like the Cubs were fine with David Ross but they were like oh we got to we can get Craig Council, so we're just dumping our manager and taking the best guy that's out there, which you don't see very often. I, it was sort of a, a move like that, I thought, when they brought in Mike Yersich, or they thought it was. But um, it's just, to, to, you you can see, I understand, like, Ohio State fans who have any sort of consternation about where this team is right now, um, even if you still have it after, just, man, just look at how, like, put yourself in the shoes of a Penn State fan right now. Because you see so many of the elements that you need to be a championship team, at least a Big Ten championship team, and, and maybe more than that. Like that defense is legitimately really good. But then to just have an entire phase of the game that is is seems just inept um, and is holding you back from that. Like I don't think. I guess it's sort of like what, I mean, it's, it is sort of what Ohio State fans maybe experienced in 2021, where, you know, if you knew that you were going to get into any kind of a big game, that uh, the defense wasn't going to hold up for you. And that, that proved to be true against both Oregon and Michigan that year and almost in the Rose Bowl. So um, maybe we're talking maybe a little bit too much about Penn State at this point, but it is interesting just because that has been like, the, we came into this year thinking, okay, Ohio State, Michigan, yes, but here's Penn State. And like they've got mm-hmm. these running backs, 
And if the Drew Aller thing works, it's going to be dangerous. It's going to be a problem. And the Drew Aller thing hasn't worked. And some of it has been Drew Aller, but some of it has been the the structure around him, the weapons that he doesn't really have. Like There were ways in this game that I thought, that's the thing that Drew Aller does. I don't know if Kyle McCord does it, mostly as a runner, right? I don't know if Kyle mm-hmm. McCord will do it. I don't know if I'll stay to let Kyle McCord do it. But it there were times when Penn State had real success because of things Drew Aller can do, but just not nearly consistently enough. And it it leaves this program in a weird spot going into the offseason because I think your defense has to take a step back and, um, you know, Aller has to show real growth going into his second year. And they've got to they got to get him some help. They got to go. I mean, this is a yeah. team. If, if there's one team in the country that should be active for every single decent receiver. Like mm-hmm. they probably they probably should send someone right now to Texas A and M and just get them an mm-hmm. apartment and have them have them mm-hmm. just sort of walk around <laughs> handing out pamphlets or something like, like there's there's going to be an exodus of talent there and there some of it needs to end up in state college because um uh they're just they're missing such an opportunity and we don't care about them you know Ohio State fans don't care about them once they've beaten them I understand that I just Comment, commenting about college football in general, there's there's just such a missed opportunity that's happening in Penn State. Penn State didn't do anything offensively, and that's what I was hoping to get out of this. Okay, what did Penn State do offensively that could make me go, okay, Ohio State can do that against Michigan as well? And, well, I still think there are things Ohio State can do to Michigan's defense. It's just Penn State didn't do them. Drew Aller ran at some times on Saturday in moments where I thought they needed him to run. If Ohio State's weapons continue to get healthier, I'm just not sure Kyle McCord has to because of what Marvin Harrison Jr. is. They tried to get I – did, I did go watch the Michigan State game, by the way. I didn't just, like, throw that away. They tried to get a Mecca Buka involved. He's not clearly – he's still working his way back here. But he's yep. got another week. He's got another week to continue to work his way back into things. I think – Everything that they did with Marvin Harrison Jr. against Michigan State, they're going to obviously try to do it again against Minnesota because he's got to keep pace statistically so he can get to New York. They should do some of that stuff for Emeka Ibuka too because they've got to get that guy rolling going into Ann Arbor. I love the, the way they got Cade Stover involved because they got to get that guy rolling going into Ann Arbor. I'm all for less than 15 carries for Travion Henderson again. As a matter of fact, less than 10. Put him in bubble wrap after a quarter and just let him sit because he spent three weeks – getting the back to being Travion Henderson. I don't need to see him be Travion Henderson against Minnesota. And I didn't need to see him do it against Michigan State. I thought that was the best thing that came out of that game for Ohio State is all their most important weapons were sitting on the sideline when the third quarter started. And you got to see Cardinal Tate. We got to see Lincoln Keenholz, who I thought could spin it a little bit. Shout out to Jelani Thurman for making a play in that game. I'm kind of tying this all together because I think the most important thing that I learned about Ohio State this weekend, watching the Michigan-Penn State game, but then also watching the Michigan-Michigan, the Ohio State-Michigan State game, is nobody of importance needs to do anything past the first 30 minutes of the game on Saturday because everything is about getting at full health and making sure Kyle McCord has every single weapon possible because I think they can move the ball on Michigan in a way that Penn State didn't move the ball. Well, but I, I think why did those guys? Why were those guys in bubble wrap to start the third quarter? Because the game was over. 
Like it was thirty-five to three. They they made another right. drive and it had a touchdown, frankly, and then just didn't quite hook up there. It was one of the like one of the ones that the very, very, very few throws, I think, from that game that Common Cord would want back. Like if he puts a different touch on that, he probably gets a third touchdown pass to Harrison, his fourth touchdown of the game. Um, and they get a field goal there, and now it's thirty-eight to three, and it, it's over. Like it's just over. So that's why you sit those guys down. And it's because they were so efficient and finished drives and just just they did what you're supposed to do uh, to Michigan State. Like, Comicord looked, he didn't, he didn't, I'm not saying he played like Justin Fields and CJ Stroud. He's a different quarterback. But I'm, what the offense produced in that first half just picked up where those guys had left off in the way that they have killed Michigan State for the past four years. Like, they just extended Ohio State. And, and you haven't been able to say that in every single matchup this year. And not every single matchup has been the same as, as maybe previous teams face, Rutgers being the best example. But they've got to do the same thing in the first half. The offense has to do the same thing. Show the same precision, the same ability to finish drives, the same um, the same big play threat, the same balance, you know, no turnovers, no penalties. Like, if you play that clean and that efficient of a first half and you're up huge again, then absolutely sit people down. But I think you have to... They're not going to do it if they don't feel like they kept some momentum going this week. And so that that's just the caveat that I would give there. I don't think, I mean, if it's, it's got to be in hand, it has to be in hand before you would sit anybody down. Um, you know, Penn State averaged 4.7 yards a carry against Michigan. And that includes, you know, whatever sacks that uh, that's not sack adjusted. That's just all rushing yards. Mm-hmm. And having Aller as a run threat definitely helps that. Um, Michigan went from 3.03 yards per carry up to 3.23 yards per carry. So like they, they ran the ball better than most teams do against Michigan uh, to the point where it like shifted them down the list of national leaders a little bit, which it should. It's the first time they've played a team worth talking about all season. One of the things I, so I took away two things from that. Drew Allar is, you know, the, the first touchdown that Penn State scored in this game was Drew Aller takes a shotgun snap and then it's just draw. Mm-hmm. He just runs it yep. and, and doesn't get barely touched and is in for a touchdown, like a 12 yard touchdown or something like that. And quarterbacks who can move around like that are really dangerous in the red zone. And that dimension, a, a third thing that you then have to worry about uh, besides, you know, routes being run and, and where the handoff is going, like adding that third thing makes it things really tough on a defense in Ohio state has not with Drew with Kyle McCord has not really even hinted that that's something that they would consider trying in the same circumstance. And maybe especially with the quarterback situation, Devin Brown's injury status, Tristan Jebbia has been uh, MIA and apparently hasn't been available to play. I, we haven't really gotten an answer on that. Um, with those guys being in whatever situation they're in, um, they're probably even less likely to try that. I'm just, that did strike me that the one way that Penn state really had success, there was another run late in this game that, that drew Aller, I think it might've been on their last touchdown drive that he ran and picked up a, uh, an important first down. Like his ability to scramble was significant in this game against Michigan. So keep that in mind that it, I don't know if they'll do called runs with Kyle McCord, but as we talk about the progress he has needed to make in terms of how you handle pressure and, and collapsing pockets and things like that. Like when he, can he just will, because he has done that. He has done that. I think at times very well, like escape and make a run and get a first down slide mm-hmm. down. Like he's not scared to do that. It's just a matter of like making the right, making the right decision in the moment to then pull that trigger. 
And then the other thing I came away with uh, from a from a rushing offense standpoint that applies is Chairman Henderson is better than Allen and Singleton. Like I've seen them play yes. now three times this year. They're fine backs. Chairman Henderson and the way he's running right now is is a step yeah. above them. And we didn't get to see what that would look like against Michigan last year. He was not available for that game. As you point out, mm-hmm. like we haven't even seen it in every big game. We didn't see it against Penn State uh, mm-hmm. earlier this year for Ohio State. What that, how that changes this offense when he's running the way he's running, not just being on the field and available, but like running the way he's running, which what he's doing this year is, is a step above where he was last year, probably even a step above where he finished his freshman year, I think. Um, like if 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 that shows up against Michigan, and and what that does to Michigan's defense, um, the leverage that, that can help Ohio State create is is significant because unlike Penn State, Ohio State has the counterpunch off. I, I think I said that last week. I said that so much of this game might come down to who come has a better gay day between. Blake Corum and Trayvon Henderson. I think they're the best two backs, and we can have a discussion at some point of which one is better between Blake Corum and, and Trayvon Henderson. But Trayvon's more explosive than Blake Corum is. I know that for sure. Now, I think Blake Corum sees it better, so that that maybe that's what the conversation is. What do you value more, the explosiveness versus the seeing it? And <laughs> depending on the back we're talking about in the Ohio State's room is how we have that conversation. But I think those are the best two backs, and whichever one can navigate through two top five defenses, maybe two top three defenses in the country might decide this game because Blake Corm just kept seeing it and he kept seeing it and he kept seeing it. And then eventually somebody on Penn State's defensive line chose the wrong gap and there was a 30-yard touchdown run. I think if, like, I'm with you. If Travion just keeps seeing it and he keeps seeing it, eventually there's going to be a 40-yard run on the table because he's Travion Henderson and that's what he does in this game. To the Devin Brown point, and I'm only saying this because you talked to him and he told you what the deal was after the Rutgers game, that if they needed him to play, he would have played. But in garbage snaps, he wasn't going to play. And that's what happened again against Michigan State, where if something would have happened to Kyle McCord in the second quarter, we probably would have seen Devin Brown. But the game is kind of over. We're not sure what's going on with Tristan Jebbia, but I think I said this on the preview part too. This is the best chance to get Lincoln Keenholz in game snaps this year was going to be the Michigan State game. So maybe they were going to go in that direction anyway to reward a guy who has spent most of the season on scout team. Calvin Simpson Hunt even got a shout out from Ryan Day after the game. But I do wonder if he's healthy enough to where if they absolutely need him to go, would they try it? And the Michigan game would be the best test tube for that. Because if it's. You're saying Devin Brown? Yeah, Devin Brown. I'm, um, you know what I'm saying? I, I, yeah. It's like. I don't know. I, Are you? I feel like the red zone package was put in for the Michigan game. So if he's seventy five percent, do you try it? Oh, seventy five percent is not that high for a game of this magnitude. It's right it's on the not. borderline. That's an interesting number to pick. Um, so I wasn't at the game as I as I told our texters and I, I said it on the pod after the game. I was ill on Saturday and wasn't able to attend and. I heard saw reports that maybe he got maybe Devin Brown aggravated something pregame. Like there was definitely other people who were there mm. I have, have, have said that he didn't look right on Saturday. And I think that's just a thing to keep an eye on. He was not on the availability report. We don't really even I'm almost don't even care about the availability report no. anymore. I mean, it's the, the everything is so because Tristan Jebby has not shown up on the on the report either, and we haven't seen him. Uh, 
Like he wasn't even doing warmups one game. Like I, I just something's. I think something's going on there. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. We'll try to find out. But it's. I would. I would be surprised about Devin Brown just because it doesn't seem to be trending in that direction right now. I think. I think if healthy, I think if he had never turned his ankle against Penn State, absolutely. I think that that's something you would put on the table because you were having success with it. Like I know that he fumbled mm-hmm. going in for the one touchdown. But like it was working, um, you know, team. It was giving teams problems, and they were building to a point where, because they're running it so efficiently with him, they were going to be able to throw off of it. That was probably what was really building for Michigan. Mm-hmm. Was that you run it with him, you run it with him, you run it with him, you run it with him. The other team schemes to take that away, and now you've got a pass option because they overcompensate somewhere. Uh, but I, I just so I think if he's healthy, I would do it. Seventy five might be a little low. That seems like for someone who who likes uh, to know what he's working with to the extent that Ryan Day does, that might be still a little too hairy to try that. If he's closer to like eighty five percent, then maybe that's enough. But the problem is, it's a it's an ankle injury for a guy whose legs you want to use. I just think that that I, at that point, at that mm-hmm. point, injured Devin Brown versus health is not a better runner than healthy Kamakord. By any stretch, no. So, no, so then it just negates fair. the point. It just negates the point of using it. Uh, it's too bad because I think it would have been a, a, an interesting wrinkle to put on the field in those situations. So it just it 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 increases the importance of doing something that Ohio State did against Michigan State, which is finishing drives. Like, and they have to be. They were more successful throwing the ball in the red zone, and and finding connections in the red zone here, Comcord making some reads and really hitting some good passes in the red zone that has to carry forward. I don't even know if there's a good answer to this because Penn State's offense was just so atrocious, but Will Johnson, former five-star recruit, he's their best corner, best player, probably the best player in the secondary. Any thoughts, any opinion on him? Cause that's, I mean, it's the last guy on the regular season schedule. That's going to try to go up against Marvin Harrison Jr. And try to slow that down. And no one, Benjamin, excuse me, Benjamin Morrison from Notre Dame, I believe that's his name, had a little bit of success, but they also doubled him the entire game. I would assume Michigan throws a bunch of different stuff at Marvin Harrison Jr. Just any impression of Will Johnson and what he might be able to challenge Marvin Harrison Jr. next Saturday. No, I I think Will Johnson's good. Again, this game doesn't tell you a lot because Penn State's receivers aren't. And (laughs) at least not, at least not, certainly not at Ohio State caliber, right? So it doesn't really that matchup doesn't really show you much. Um, I'm, I am intrigued by how Michigan is going to try to do this because I think it's, I think both things are true. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. has to have a great game, but Marvin Harrison Jr. alone isn't going to beat Michigan. If that mm-hmm. makes sense, you got to have both for, for this game. You've got to have, you have to be productive with him. You have to hit those one-on-one opportunities. And there were a lot of them in this Michigan state game that that they did connect on even you know I thought it was a good game for recognition of by common cord of the times when the doubles weren't there like very quickly knowing how, where to go with it and and where to put mm-hmm. it on Marvin Harrison Jr. It was it was just a good game for him. And that's going to be tougher against Michigan but you got to find a way to try to replicate it. But then you also like it's why Emeka Buka getting healthy over the next week and a half is so important. 
It's why, you know, Trevin Henderson continuing to do what he does. It's why Kate Stover looking so healthy was so important. Um, you know, seven catches in the first half. Um, you know, and, and some of, I thought, Comacord's best plays of the game were not necessarily the passes to Harrison. They were some of the ones he made that involving Cade Stover. So him as like this really interesting security blanket. And then Marvin Harrison Jr. I wouldn't call Marvin Harrison Jr. the security blanket for this. He's like the entire he's like the entire bedroom. And then, and then yeah, and, and, and Cade Stover is <laughs> the security blanket. Um, he's like he's like a king sized brass rails canopy like the most the fanciest bed you can imagine marvin is the reason we bought the house because he was in there already yeah there's like there's a difference between a conservative blanket and then like the ceiling that keeps the rain off of you at night um so they gotta have they gotta have both elements and the really instructive game for that would not be this game the penn state michigan game it's the ohio state notre dame game like notre dame what notre dame did worked like Notre Dame played a defensive plan that was good enough to win that game. Uh, Ohio State made the plays at the end to win that game, no question. And they deserve credit for doing that, maybe especially because they had to do it against uh, a defense that was executing the way that Notre Dame's did. Um, but I, if they, if Michigan does the same thing and limits Marvin Harrison Jr. that much, and you're only scoring 17 points, you're gonna have to have a whale of a game from your defense. So. That has that has to be instructive too. Like, what did Ohio State learn from the Notre Dame experience that it can apply eight weeks later to Michigan? Okay, we're gonna take a, a quick break right now. When we come back, we'll talk Ohio State's defense because I, the Michigan's offense did show us some things that we can talk about with Ohio State's defense, and also. I sent a, a little survey to our texter, 614-350-3315, if you want to participate in those surveys. Two-week free trial. This is the time. I'm telling you, you're in the window. You get this Minnesota game, and you get the Michigan game. So get the text, 614-350-3315, and more on that. And Ohio State's defense when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Back on Buckeye Talk, before I forget, because Nathan just reminded me of it, saying that he wasn't at the game. I wasn't at the game either. I was at a wedding. I don't have any more weddings to go to this year, so so I won't be missing any more games. Hopefully, Nathan stays healthy, so he's not missing missing any more games. It's starting to look like Ohio State's secondary. <laughs> now we're missing some of these games here. Shout out to Andrew, not on this pod, but shout out to Andrew for holding it down. He was texting. He was doing a lot, man. So shout out to Andrew for holding it down for the Cleveland.com for yep. the Buckeye Talk crew while we were out. I thought he did a heck of a job doing that. 
Nathan, they threw the ball eight times. It's so frustrating. I, let me tell you how I found out he threw the ball eight times. I didn't see the full game. I saw little bits and pieces while I was doing other stuff. But a friend of mine, we're on a shuttle headed to where we're headed. And he goes, yeah, Michigan beat Penn State. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So, like, next week's game is going to be actually very that much more interesting than it already is. And he's showing me the box score. And I see seven for eight, and I go, yo, your apps, can you refresh this? You only have, like, the first quarter stats. He's like, no, 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 that's, like, the full game stats. And I'm like, what do you mean it's the full game stats? He's like, yeah, but they won. I'm like, yeah, but this is not 1964. Why are you playing football that way? So then when I go back and we watch the game, now I have an understanding of it. I thought Ohio State's defensive line against Penn State made it very clear that Penn State was not going to be allowed to run the ball. And it forced Drew Aller to throw the ball 42 times, which is probably, as the Michigan game has now shown us, 41 more times than he needed to be throwing the ball right now. I think I said this, Nathan, on the Monday pod after the Penn State game, and I think I'm going to repeat it here. If Ohio State comes out and shuts down the run in the first quarter and they make J.J. McCarthy throw the ball, with this talent and the way especially the secondaries, especially the corners now that they're healthy, and we can get into the safety stuff, but especially the corners being healthy, which could eliminate some of the explosives they had in last year's game. I think make McCarthy throw the ball 25-plus times and Ohio State's going to win this game next Saturday. Yeah, maybe. Um, so the, the success that Michigan had against Penn State, I thought was really interesting because I found myself – thinking back to the Ohio State-Michigan game from last year, especially the fourth quarter of that game, when Ohio State sort of had to sell out a little bit defensively and it left them vulnerable to those long touchdown runs that Michigan had. So because I thought this was a game where Michigan, again, for a team that only threw the ball eight times, it wasn't like they went out and ran for 500 yards or whatever. This wasn't like a you know a service academy triple option pile it up kind of thing it was sort of just their regular what you would expect from a from a running offense against a defense this good uh, but there were some big plays and I thought you could trace a lot of them back to I, you can say mistakes that Penn State made but it was Michigan taking advantage of Penn State sort of over leveraging itself with with pressure especially so Blake Horam had a long run in the middle of the second quarter it was already seven to three this is on Michigan's second touchdown run um, Penn State brings seven guys up to the line, so so has has you know they're playing a four man front I think there, and then they show three more blitzers. Now they got a corner on the knee on the I guess it would have been the boundary side of the field, and then they got two linebackers in the middle and a safety over the top, but he's only ten yards off the line of scrimmage, ten twelve yards whatever. So they bring they put those seven guys on the line and then they bring them all. This is a second down play, and those two linebackers in the middle now are the only thing that you have between Blake Corm. So it's it's a handoff where Blake Corm has to, he decides to cut it back outside, but he makes that decision so quick that now when he gets outside, you've got two linebackers who are still in, the, in between the hashes, and a safety who, because Blake Corm first ran straight forward, he takes a step in the wrong direction. I don't know why, <laughs> because the other side of the field is so exposed. If you're going to overcorrect 
you would almost overcorrect to that side. Instead, he takes a step in the wrong direction and it's over because now you have no angle to stop Blake Corm and he gets outside. And I don't remember how I can write down how long the run was, but it was a, it was a very long, it was definitely an explosive run, like 30, 40 yards from what I remember. And all, all Blake Corm had to do was get outside a little bit and go. And we've seen Ohio State have you know similar moments. You know, Trevin Henderson had his explosive at Notre Dame, so Ohio State can do it too. But it just it was an example of uh, Penn State putting itself in a bad position and, and Michigan capitalizing, which again was a whole story of last year's game. It's the sort of mistake Ohio State made last season that it frankly hasn't made this season. You don't see those same like over uh, aggressive moments. Um, later on that drive, you know, Penn State um, on the on the Donovan Edwards has a 22 yard touchdown run. And again, Penn State is both bringing pressure and has one side of the field overloaded so that when Donovan Edwards gets into the second level, there's just a whole quadrant of the field that's wide open for him. And it's a 22 yard touchdown run. And in the last Blake Corum touchdown run, um, they show two uh, Penn State shows two blitzers. Only one of them actually comes and the linebacker blitz, but he picks the wrong gap. I mean, just just bad luck, I guess. But he comes through a gap. Corum comes through the gap right next to that. And mm. the other linebacker is just slow to recover. And because, again, Michigan was trips right, so the coverage is on the opposite side of the field, and that just leaves an unbat Like, you have no chance. Like, you have no safety net over the top to, to stop that. So it's another explosive touchdown run. But that's, like, take away those three plays, and Michigan's offense didn't do a whole lot in this game. It would have probably forced them to have to make some plays on third down, and they can do that through the passing game. It's not like they're inept in the passing game. It's not like they've been ignoring it all year. They've got some guys there who, and, and J.J. McCarthy's a good quarterback, and they've got guys there who can make plays. But some of that is, is the other thing to remember, though, like I'm not putting this all, because some of this is, it's a fine line sometimes, because I think all those things were schematic, errors by Penn State. I think those things could have been drawn up better. But sometimes it's also a good team Discipline. with good athletes taking advantage of uh taking advantage of the scheme, not just yeah. schematic malpractice. And now it's an example of you know Michigan's going to find those wrinkles against Ohio State too. Not maybe as catastrophically for for Ohio State's sake, but there's going to they're going to see something on film and 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 attack it and play off. So like do Ohio State's athletes in the back end make plays? And and does Jim Knowles put them in better position to make plays? Because last year they had athletes back there who could make plays, but sometimes against Michigan especially, they had schemed things up in a way that they didn't give them a chance to to stop those before they were explosives. And I think this this Ohio State defense, I think, is better schemed to stop Michigan than Penn State's was. Jim Knowles talked about that a lot before last year's Michigan games, the escape hat- hatches. And Michigan does do a great job of scheming up things to find those escape hatches. But I also, I don't think Penn State's defensive line was very disciplined, especially on the edge. I will say this, Jack and JT, the sack thing has been weird at times this year. But I think where they have been stout is both of those guys hold the edge well. They're not getting outside of those guys. And I think that's going to be very important against Michigan. Because there was a lot of times where regardless of which of the three defensive ends it was, they weren't holding the edge. And so Michigan was able to get outside, especially when they started running McCarthy on some of those read option plays. He was able to get outside sometimes. Donovan Edwards was able to get outside sometimes. I think this is a front seven game, man. I think it's – Mike Hall only played six oh, yeah. snaps on Saturday. So it's like, is he healthy? 
<laughs> you know, is he healthy or not? Because Tyreek Williams is already playing 60 plus snaps in big games. Can't really play more than that. Ty Hamilton, my call on the interior, Hero Canoe starting to come along and maybe be a fourth guy in that rotation for them. Jack and JT have to hold edge. I won't be shocked if those two play. If this is a 63 snap game for the defense, I won't be shocked if they play 60 and even 63 snaps. And it doesn't look similar to Notre Dame because I think yeah. Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry are very good at getting after the passer. They've had, they flashed a lot in pass rushing snaps, but I understand why Larry Johnson played JT Tuimaloa and Jack Sawyer every single snap against Notre Dame because that's stopping the run and you've got to be disciplined in those situations. And you can't have, like you just mentioned, what Blake Corn was able to do, what Donovan Edwards was able to do because you weren't disciplined at holding the edge and now a guy got outside and something that maybe could have been a TFL or at least like a two-yard gain is a 22-yard touchdown because you gave up the edge in those situations. I'm wondering how healthy Tommy Eichenberg is. Because you didn't need him against Michigan State, and you don't really need him this weekend as well. So I do wonder if that is a situation of if it was Michigan, he plays. If it's not Michigan, let him get his rest. Even though they showed him on the they showed him on the broadcast at one point, he did not look very happy that he wasn't playing football. But those no. three guys, Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, Cody Simon, whichever combination is out of there, those guys with this defensive line, they have to stay disciplined. Because if Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards get to the second level. I know I'm I'm higher on the secondary. I still don't want to put them in a situation where they have to make tackles after tackles, especially since we don't know what's going on with Lathan Ransom. And that dude showed up in on one of those scooters on Saturday, and that's not a good sign for a game, guy who we think might be able to play in two weeks. I don't think Lathan Ransom is going to play in two weeks. Um, no. I, I It doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound like it's trending in that direction by any stretch. Um, and you're right about the linebackers. I think there have been times this year where by their own admission, um, they haven't been as gap sound as they wanted to be. They've made those eye infractions that Jim Knowles harps on. And, uh, Michigan is going to definitely scheme some things up to try to take advantage of that. So it, some of it is on this defensive line to obviously just keep, um, keep those blockers off of the linebackers and let the linebackers fill those gaps. But it's also on those guys to be, you know, senior multi-year starter backers and that is assuming Eichenberg can play it really was weird watching him just in a, a hoodie under his jersey on the sideline it's just it's not right like that's it just with Tommy Eichenberg not in shoulder pads doesn't look right I think he should be I assume he wears them just around town I haven't seen him but um that's that should just be his default look like he's that he's a linebacker and uh that's a, a big deal I think you know, as good as Cody Simon has played, there's a reason why he wasn't starting over Tommy Eichenberg. And you want to have your best defense as much as possible. And if you are missing Lathan Ransom, because Lathan Ransom is a really, really, really important piece of this defense. Like he, in some ways, he got a little bit lost in the shuffle as far as like the people you would praise in this defense, because, you know, Denzel Burke playing the way he has the defensive line and Tyleek Williams and the ends and playing the way that they have. And now Davis Nigbenosin shows up and he's so good. And hey, here's Sonny Styles, the, the the flashy new thing. But like Lathan Ransom as a, let's use the term again, security blanket at the back end of that defense has been critically important. And, you know, we had talked back in the spring about, we did like this little speculative uh, chitter chat video that we do about oh, what if is Sonny Styles like the best player on this defense right now? And he's not, he wasn't. But he's very good. 
but he was also very good in the role that they had him in, like playing him down near the line of scrimmage and all the things that he can do there. And now he has, you know, he's been doing it now a couple of weeks and he's got a couple of weeks left to continue this adjustment to being the safety that can sort of replicate what Lathan Ransom brought to this defense. And I'm not saying that there's like deficiencies there, but they are different athletes. They're different people. And, you know, I think there were some plays in this game um, and maybe even against Rutgers that Lathan Ransom stops sooner than Sonny Styles does. So it's just, he, he is adjusting. Um, he's not playing adjuster. He is adjusting to <laughs> to bandit. Um, which is something he played a lot in the spring. So at least he has that background with it. And that part of the plan has worked, I think, well for Ohio State, frankly, that like they had him, you know, training at that position when it makes the most sense that, you know, when he's the best fit at nickel, he gets to focus on that. But at least he has this foundation at Bandit that he can sort of, you know, muscle memory and stuff maybe rely on here. And and I think, so I think that's important these next two weeks. And then I think just Tommy Eichenberg's mental reps, because, Will he play against Minnesota? I don't know. I'm sure he'll probably try to force his way back in there if he can, but the the more prudent decision might be to get him as healthy as possible and and unleash him against Michigan again. So those are two big ones that are still hanging out there. The Josh Proctor absence was more surprising, and it doesn't sound like that's going to be long-term. But those other two, and especially with Ransom now sounding like they don't expect him back, sure doesn't sound like it, then I think Eichenberg becomes even more critical because because of you're playing a team that runs as well as Michigan runs. Ransom, not, I think in that order, Sonny Styles taught me Eichenberg if, if Lathan Ransom can't play because that's a, that's a huge loss to not be able to play Sonny Styles at nickel in this game. As good as Jordan Hancock has been at nickel against this team, who just threw eight passes in a top 10 matchup. They were not going to do that against Ohio State. They're going to throw more than eight passes because Ohio State actually has an offense. But still, a team who wants to run the ball and does it in as many different variations and formations as they do, with some of the, their tight ends are really good blockers. So to have a nickel who was six foot four, 220, while Lathan Ransom is being your bandit, that's a huge loss potentially if Ransom can't play. And I just, I don't see it. I don't know how you go from being in a scooter on a walking boot and then two weeks later, you're playing in a top three matchup. I just I don't see how that works out. That seems like something that if they beat Michigan, we'll see them in a playoff game. If they don't, maybe we don't ever see Lathan Ransom at Ohio State again because that's like a guy who's in line to potentially go pro. I think he's played well enough to do that. A couple texter questions before we wrap this up. 614-350-3315 if you want to participate in these surveys. Nathan, I'll ask you first. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, 1 being the lowest, how confident in you were you in Ohio State's chances against Michigan before the Wolverines played Penn State on Saturday? Is it how confident am I in their chances? Yes. I mean, I think that's an interesting of I mean, winning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've I've all along thought they had a chance to win. It's I I don't know. I would put it how, how do you slide the scale on that? Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think my opinion changed very much. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it 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 only it only enhanced how much I think Ohio State can win that game. So 
Okay. I still don't know how I'm gonna. I don't still don't know what I'm gonna predict on that game. So, so I it's it. I mean, I was probably a, a nine either way, just a stronger nine after. Not, that's not a nine, okay. like because it's different. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I understand. It, what you're saying. Using the word chances is different than like how you know what do I think they're going to win? Like if I if I had a, like gun to my head, yes or no, are they going to win? I guess I would have been like a seven before this game and like a stronger seven now. Okay. Our Texans were at a 5.44. Most picked five, though, before the game. After the game, 6.98, but most people were seven or eight. And I think I wasn't sure. And, yeah, maybe I could ask the question a little bit better. But I wasn't sure how much we were going to caveat this with Penn State's offense is horrid. And I didn't do that as much with how I thought about it because – one, Ohio State does have more weapons than Penn State, so there are just some things that naturally they're going to be able to do just routinely that Penn State wasn't able to do. But also, I am not highly on alert for Michigan just being able to gash Ohio State's defense in the run game all day to where Ohio State's defense never forces Michigan to have to throw the ball. So, yeah, I... I, to me, it, the other thing that it, it gets baked into the answers that people gave is they also saw Ohio State play Saturday night. So you weren't asking this question right after the Michigan-Penn State game when they might have, before they saw Ohio State's fully healthy offense, fully healthy, fully and intact offense for the first time in weeks, go out and kind of sizzle a little bit against Michigan State. So that affects things. This is an interesting stat that I've been following. Um, there's a stat out there. If people know Brian Fromo, um, who does he, he does the F plus ratings that are out there, and I've I've written about them in the past, used them in various things I've written. The met a metric that is a, a predictive tool, and he has a tracks a stat called net points per drive, and that's exactly what it sounds like. You can take out the garbage snaps and like the the the, the you know the head to head real snaps that a team plays against other, I think maybe just other um, FBS teams. Um, how many points are they expected to score per drive? And three points per drive is like a massive threshold. And it's going back through, it's been since at least 2013. And it might be the only time since he started tracking this back into the mid two thousands that a team has been over three Florida state was 3.04 in 2013. And Michigan this year was at 3.73 coming into this game. So they were like obliterating this stat. They were lapping the world in this stat. And Ohio State was at 1.70, which is good, but was clearly like it's, it's they're expected to score mm-hmm. half as many points per drive as Michigan. Now, that doesn't correct for it doesn't correct for um uh, what do I say competition, right? So it, it what it does do is it gives you credit when you blow a team out, but it doesn't give you extra credit for running the score up, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. there's some formula in there, you know, at what point in the game they stop counting. Anyway, after this past weekend's games, Michigan's dropped from 3.73 to 3.43. So a healthy chunk came out of that. And almost the exact same amount went on to Ohio State score. They went from 1.70 to 1.96. So Michigan came down 0.3 yards per drive net points per drive and and by the way net points so it's differential it's not just points you're scoring it's offense defense differential and Ohio State's went up by a third of a point 
almost. So I just thought that was interesting that this weekend there is still a statistical gap between these teams that doesn't account for, it isn't corrected for um, competition, which Ohio State still has played the harder schedule. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that, that you did see movement there that we thought you might see after how those respective games played out. That the first time Michigan had to play uh, a really good team, it took a chunk out of this elite, like insane level that it had been playing at. And Ohio State getting on the field against, frankly, the kind of teams that Michigan has been able to beat up on a little bit more and going out and doing what it did gave its numbers a, a real jump. So Ohio State is not quite yet at the level that it, it, I think another good week against Minnesota would put it at a score that would probably fare pretty favorably against you know other playoff teams and stuff from past years. Michigan is still heads and tails above everybody else. So it just reinforces that this is a, a real challenge that's going to be there in two weeks. But I thought both of the games Saturday showed not just that Ohio State can go in there and, and win, but showed how it can go in there and win. If it executes in these areas, it can do things that Penn State could not do, and Penn State was still in that game in the fourth quarter. Last question. Tom McCourt, career high in passing yards, career high in PFF grade, and then he tied his career high in touchdown passes. I think he was 24 of 31 on the game. Clearly one of his more efficient days. Does he need to do that again this weekend against Minnesota? Like, does he need I, to have the, the, that level of efficiency? Just for the sake of – because we, we talked about this a little bit, how in some ways the Western Kentucky game built up some momentum heading into the Notre Dame game. But it didn't stick, but also Notre Dame is better than Western Kentucky. Does Kyle McCord need two weeks of just efficient, unproblematic football building as much momentum as possible heading into the Michigan State game – I mean, to the Michigan game? Of course, Yeah. But it's he needs the footwork that he had in that game. Yeah. He needs the the um, reads and the vision that he had in that game. He needs the the fundamentals and the mechanics that he had in that game. He needs his ankle to be as healthy as it appeared to be mm-hmm. in that game and, and healthier as it went along. Because I did also see him still look like he might have been limping a little bit at times. So I don't know how much it's still affecting him, but it, it did seem better. Like all those things need to be true. It, and if all those things are true, then I guess maybe the yards and the touchdowns will come. But those are the important things. Those are the things that will matter against Michigan more than if he hits a guy who gets wide open against a team that just gave up 49 points to Purdue. Um, the same team that, that Ohio State beat 41-7 to in in their home stadium just beat Minnesota by scoring 49 points. Like that, that tells you something. The Michigan, the Minnesota defense is in trouble right now. Like they're missing some guys. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't really have answers for how it's kind of tailspun on them. And, you know, it was good enough to beat Iowa because Iowa had no offense, but it's in, in other big 10 West games, they're getting kind of rocked right now. And Ohio state should be able to, should be able to replicate this past Saturday's first half coming up on Saturday against Minnesota should be. I mean, that should be the standard going into it. But for Kyle McCord specifically, I really, really think it's more about the accuracy, the efficiency, and the decision-making. And those were all really crisp, I thought, against Michigan State. And, you know, you get to have these, it, again, I've said it so many times, but like these, these, the way this schedule has staggered, 
Like these are the, you set a really, really high standard and then try to almost impossibly high standard and try to meet it. And you, in, in weeks like this, and I thought they came pretty close against Michigan state. They're going to take another shot at it against Minnesota. Um, and then try to just be, try to just be in sync and locked in when the Michigan game comes. Cause Michigan's going to interrupt it more. Like you're not going to, mm-hmm. it's going to be a much tougher fight when you get against Michigan, but now at least you know how it feels when you are in sync and you can maybe get it back quicker in a game after you've been kind of after you've been in that rhythm now for a couple of weeks. I'll give this and I'll let you give yours. I think the biggest takeaway from Ohio State versus Penn State and then Michigan versus Penn State, and especially now after seeing Ohio State's offense kind of get itself together a little bit here. I honestly think if somebody scores 30 points in this, 30 points is enough to win here. Because I'm not sure both teams get to 30 next Saturday. And I, I don't want to put a direct score oh. on it yet because I'm still trying to work through it. But if you score 30, I think the winner of this game might be 30 to 24. Just because both of these teams have some guys who can do some explosive stuff. But it might be a rock fight that just doesn't look as ugly because both of these offenses are a little bit more sophisticated than what Penn State was. I mean, 20 to 17 has to be on the table right now right no, i mean just look at this i mean just look at the comparable yeah. scores i mean the P- michigan penn state was 24 to 15 ohio state penn state was 20 to 12 ohio state notre dame was 17 to 14 like yeah. uh, so i think 30 would might be a blowout if somebody's scoring 30 they might be winning this game by two touchdowns or you know, 12 mm. points something like that. you know what i mean like i i don't think i'm not sure that i'm predicting either team is going to be approaching 30 in a game like this i just think these defenses are too strong and um, and they both are going to be enough reliant on the run game that it's going to just lead to a score maybe in, in, in more in that range, which is I mean I don't know it's it's football man like that's it'll just be a football score <laughs> it'll be like twenty four to twenty one something like that. Do you know the last time Ohio State and Michigan played and neither team scored thirty? Who? No, not off the top of my head. 2012, Ohio State won 26 to 21 in Columbus. <laughs> so it's not just a football game. We're going back in time, man. We're going back to a time long before either one of these guys had five star quarterbacks galore on their roster. I think that it, Penn State didn't give us a lot, and I thought Penn State would give us more of a of an understanding I, of Michigan. And I, I'm very disappointed that Penn State did not show growth from one top 10 matchup to the next one. And it's very, it's skewing the way we have to talk about Michigan. Cause I think Michigan's clearly a top three team in the country, but you still have to have the caveat of they haven't really played a complete football team yet. And maybe and while Ohio state, as much as you want to talk about how Notre Dame is maybe falling off a cliff here. I think Notre Dame is still a really good football team. They just had a really rough run of games from the Ohio from like week three to week seven. Yeah. Notre Dame against Penn state would be an interesting game. I think I picked Notre Dame. That actually, I, don't think, yeah. I don't think I would have said that after the Penn State game. I think I would have confidently said Penn State, but I think now I, I confidently would pick Notre Dame. And yeah, I hadn't thought about that. And I, I, you know, I thought that Penn State would come out of the Ohio State game, realize, you know, analyze its shortcomings and have a better plan for Michigan and look like kind of the same plan, which was a bad plan. Um, and, and, and they didn't really have anything to to work with, and 
Um, now, one thing I will say, it is possible, too, that Penn State did make some adjustments and had some things it thought would work better, and that Michigan is just so strong defensively that it could it could take them away and equalize them. I didn't necessarily look at this game, though, and see Michigan just blowing Penn State up. Now, not, not that Michigan doesn't have some really great players. And uh, one area that I think is of, is of concern is what Michigan has at defensive tackle and the way that it can blow up the middle of an offensive line against Ohio State's interior offensive line. You know, Carson Hensman is definitely still learning on the job this far into his Richard freshman year. And, you know, there was a point in this game in the second half where Matt Jones slid over and played center and they put Enoch Vamahi at right guard. And I think that was emergency. And the rest of the, rest of the starting line stayed the same. Mm-hmm. And, and I think some of that was. Well, it's 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 not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that they mm-hmm. did that with those guys. Because if you just wanted to get Enoch Vamahi some time with the starting line and like get him some run with the ones because he deserves it, he's been hanging around for so long. Then why'd you put Matt Jones at center? Like why wouldn't you just left Carson Hensman? Because you need Carson Hensman needs the reps, right? So unless mm-hmm. Carson Hensman got banged up, which I didn't see, then this seemed to be a real indication that an option for that game, if they are having trouble with those tackles, might be. Matt Jones playing center and Vamahi coming in and trying to handle guard. Uh, and maybe they see that the upside in that because, you know, Matt Jones was a center in a previous life, but he has not been a center at Ohio state. He has always just kind of hung around in the background as like an option there. If they need it, like we bring it up all the time. We thought about it coming into the like back in the spring. We thought, we thought that maybe he would just be the starting center this year because they had more depth at guard and they could make that move then. And they thought that, the Carson Hensman thing would work. It just hasn't been real consistent. And I think they probably are just hedging their bets when it relates to going up against these Michigan defensive tackles. I think they've already seen that on the horizon and this could be a contingency plan for that. Matthew Jones has been a career break in case of emergency center for Ohio state since he showed up here while in turn never actually playing a snap at center at Ohio state, at least since I've been on the beat, he's never been at center, which is, I, but I think you're right. I, I think it's – I didn't see him get banged up, but I do think they want to hedge their bets there just a little bit because Michigan's got a pretty good interior off defensive line, and you can't have Kyle McCord looking like Drew Aller, where Drew Aller the whole second half was scared to step up in the pocket because he just didn't – he was not sure of himself at all. And the way Ryan Day keeps talking about Kyle McCord's eyes and his feet – He's got to be able to step up into the pocket. He's got to be able to be set with his feet and make throws, regardless of what's going on with that ankle, because Ryan Day has not attributed any of that to his ankle. He's all just said it's just where his feet are, where his eyes are. So if he can't step up in the pocket and make throws to Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Buka, Kate Stover, and on down the list, well, Michigan wins defensively. I don't know if that means they win the game, because they might just start running the ball in that situation. But I, I noticed that, too. And I thought they was just because they had the second team unit in and maybe Jacob James is still working his way back. But then we saw Jacob James later in that game, almost getting get into a fight at the end of the game, which I thought was hilarious in its own right. <laughs> that The second half got weird of the Ohio State-Michigan State game because there's like Jelani Thurman in Michigan State being unable to tackle him whatsoever and then him doing the first down marker every single time. CJ Hicks flashed and had a TFL in that game. So some young guys – flashing in that game but that's all i'm going to say on the michigan state game we learned some things about michigan from the penn state michigan game we also 
didn't learn some things because the Nittany Lions offense, as it turns out, is not very good and might be even comparable to Iowa at this point because both of those t- teams have fired their offensive coordinator in the middle of the season. That'll wrap up this Monday pod. As you're listening to this late in the afternoon, Andrew and I are recording a recruiting pod. It's just going to be rapid fire. That'll be the last recruiting pod for a while until we do signing day stuff at the end of December because next week is just going to be action-packed with a bunch of different Michigan stuff as we get closer and closer to that Ohio State-Michigan game. But for now, we'll continue our preparation for Ohio State to play Minnesota in their last home game on Saturday at Senior Day. So on Tuesday, we'll be back at the Woody talking with Ryan Day and Jim Knowles about that. Get the text 614-350-3315, two-week free trial, three ninety nine. after that. Get our YouTube channel. They didn't. We didn't do like on-site videos over the weekend, but they still did YouTube stuff. They still graded Kyle McCord. They still graded him. So sign up for the YouTube channel. Just type in Buckeye Talk at YouTube. So for Nathan Baird, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>